You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's a hunk of hunk of hunk of burning love. Oh. <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff McLeod Huge. Oh, that explains a lot of things. I'm definitely a <laughs> definitely a hunker. Um, so that I got that going for me. How you doing? <laughs> well, it's been a day. It's mm. been a week. Has it's it been the past couple of months? Yeah. Has it? Yes. As I mentioned, over the summer, I had, uh, contracted COVID. Mm. I remember. And then not long, yeah. And then not long after I got the COVID, I had the equilibrium problem. Yes. Right. So whenever I had the equilibrium problem, they put me on some steroids to help drain. Maybe about two weeks after that, my I started getting like almost double. Vi- I don't want to call it double vision. It was more like a ghost image in yeah. my left eye. We were the eye problems called blurry. All right, or blurry, sure. And I would get that every once in a while when I would get sick, mm-hmm. like. I don't know, like sometimes the mucus in your eye just gets a little uh, rambunctious, shall we say. Uh-huh. So I didn't really think anything of it. It's like, okay, here it is. And then days turned to weeks and weeks turned into months. And it was about two months afterwards. And I was like, well, this is apparently isn't going away. So I went to my doctor and he put me on antibiotics and mm-hmm. that didn't make it go away. So today I went to get my eyes examined for the uh-huh. first time since like, you know, like a real eye examination. That's like the first time I've ever had it. Okay. Oh, geez. All right. Really? You've you've gone as as many decades as you are without a a formal eye exam? Dude, up until a couple of years ago, I had 2013 vision. I was like, yeah, I was like a shock. How do you know if you didn't have an eye exam? You know those little eye charts that they have like at your doctor's office? I would play around on that when the doctor wasn't around and I I could see to the 2013 line. So not officially 2013, but like as a round number 2013. Okay. Anyway, stop. Don't judge. No, no, don't no. I've just stop judging. I just I'm like I, I don't know how you gauge that on your own. It's like it's not like you go in and they have like a Brannock device to measure your feet to buy the right shoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, well, I mean, think about it. Like the last real eye exam I had was the kind where you made like the M's and the E's and the W's with your hand. <laughs> yeah, back in elementary school, right? Yeah. Before you got your yeah, polio vaccine. Yeah, I remember those days too. Yeah, show me on the picture where the apple is. One of those things, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. So they're over there doing all the pictures and all that, and the doctor's like, yep, you have astigmatism. You need glasses. Um, I haven't gotten the glasses yet. I got my prescription. It's in my wallet. So I got to go on Saturday to go get glasses for the first time in my life. Well, let me welcome you to the astigmatic club. I have had astigmatism <laughs> since I was nine years old. My eyes have progressed very slowly towards where they are now, which is when I don't have glasses or contact lenses on, I need a special harness on my dog and a stick with a red end on uh, it. I guess I could get away with just like getting a contact lens, which 
I might consider doing, but I really should get glasses first, just simply because you can't wear contact lenses every day. Sure you can. You know? Well, I know you can't, but sometimes you have a cold and I can't get the contact lenses in sure. kind of a thing. So I I do eventually want to see things. Yes, yes, yes. So, so yep, yeah, I'm going to be getting glasses. Um, and I always said, if you know, when it gets to a point when I need glasses, I want to get those, like, Tinted ones like you see Sinbad or uh, Peter Chris wear, where or even Johnny Depp, whether he has blue tinted or yellow or even purple tinted lenses. And I was right. like, yeah, they're they're wearing glasses, but they look like they're wearing sunglasses all the time. And that's the route I'm gonna go. Yep, that's uh, that's my plan of attack. I'm gonna go look at stuff uh, on Saturday. Well, all right. Well, good luck with that. Enjoy uh, the fun and excitement of having frames fitted to you. So that yeah. literally two days later, because of just normal wear and tear, they don't fit anymore because everything stretches and sort of it's like a house settling. And then you got to bend right. bend pieces and parts and make them fit again. And let me know the first time you like sit down and really watch a movie with your glasses on. Oh, yeah. She said I'm going to get nauseous for the first couple of days. Oh, I, yeah. You're going to get nauseous for the first couple of days. But the first time you like you watch a movie, especially one that you've seen that's relatively recent, yeah. you may find yourself going like, whoa. That's high definition. I understand now because you don't realize how messed up your eyes are until you fix them. I wear glasses, like reading glasses, to you know to work on the computer. Right. I can't read my blueprints at work without them. Right. So I'm kind of more or less used to wearing glasses to work anyway. Well, it's just gonna be something I have to get used to. I is guess. it just is it just one eye that you need the lens for? Uh, the other eye has a little bit of vision correction that I need because okay. just out of, you know because of age. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of more or less just one eye. One eye is way worse than the other. If you can sport a monocle, that is not a bad idea because <laughs> it definitely falls into your idiom. Of Bill with one monocle, <laughs> you know. I like being pretentious, and uh, I can't always eat sushi. So That's true. I get that going. For and, me. and and you know what? Top hats are easy to buy this time of year. So oh, yep. Uh, not that I don't own one already. Uh, Jeff, uh, this is going to be the week beginning December the 5th. But before we get to the show, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Ah, wonderful. Jeff, the national anthem of this country yes. has been the Star Spangled Banner since 1931. Prior to 1931, what was the national anthem of this country? Prior to 1931, what was the national anthem of this country? Uh, good question. Not bad, huh? I like that one. All right. This is going to be the week beginning December the 5th. And you know what? Last week I started because uh, you took over hosting duties because I couldn't talk very well. True. And I I really, really enjoyed starting. So uh, oh, oh, guess right. what? I'm starting again. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, I suppose I'll let it go since you're only effectively sort of cyclopean until you get your new glasses. So right, let right, it go right. there, one eye. <laughs> Bill with one eye. Do it with one eye. Which I technically do have Bill with one eye as well. Right. So, at any rate, uh, this is the week beginning December the 5th. And December the 5th, we're coming right out of the gate with a unusual holiday. It's unusual to us, but not in Bavaria in Germany, ah. where it is Krampusnacht. I believe that's how they say it. Or Krampus Night. Oh, I get Krampus Night if I eat too much. <laughs> Too much curry. I went to Chipotle and now I'm having a Krampus night. Yeah. Sometimes I have Krampus all day too. So at any rate, Krampus has kind of entered the American culture over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. 
So Krampus is kind of like the devil figure in the Santa Claus mythology. He's a half goat and half demon, and he comes out on December the 5th to punish the children who have misbehaved. Santa Claus gives out presents to the good little girls and boys, and Krampus comes out 20 days earlier and f***s this shit right up. So it's good to know that Santa Claus has the good cop, bad cop routine down with the kids. <laughs> I don't know how far back this goes in Germany and uh, Bavaria. I My history of the two of them is very little. I mean, I know what Bavarian cream donuts are, and they're really good, but that's, you know, <laughs> Tonight, other than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bavaria is a province in G- modern Germany, but it was its own country as part of the Prussian Empire. And previous to that, it was its own country. So it's still a uh, autonomous, not autonomous region, but it's still not culturally separated from Germany, but it's northern northern Germany, which is where Munich is. And they have sort of their own style. I guess that is how I would describe it. Uh, it makes sense that they would have like good cop, bad cop, holiday themed monsters yeah. for some reason. I can't imagine them coming from somewhere yeah. else. I first heard about Krampus. I can't even put a timestamp on it. But I remember seeing like the Krampus parades from Germany and Bavaria. And they're really cool considering, you know, my love of horror and the haunted house industry. And then, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago, one of the local haunted houses, Fright Kingdom up in Nashua, up near you, uh, they started doing Krampus night haunted house. So they have, they, they switch over all of their haunts to almost like a Christmas theme and they have like. Krampus monsters roaming around and stuff like that. Yeah. People love it. People show up every year. So, well, it's, it's good stuff. Far right? be it for me to Krampus anybody's style, but let me just say that <laughs> I, everything I I know about Krampus I I heard about for the very first time approximately seven minutes ago. So, yeah. uh, I always thought it was just a movie monster like Pumpkinhead or you know. Oh right. right. No, they, I only started noticing that it was a character on like the Netflix screen as it scrolled by like Krampus, whatever. That, I don't know what that is. So. You know. Yeah, they made a Krampus horror movie uh, some years ago. It kind of like picked up American popularity, the mythos of, of Krampus, you know, thanks to the internet and Facebook. Yeah, I'd say about 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, it just steamrolled and like everybody talks about it like it's been around forever in American culture. But when I was a kid, I never heard of it. I went to Catholic school. Yeah, again, I must travel in different circles. In fact, my circles are very small, though, so I don't know what Krampus. When you say everybody talks about it, I'm like, nobody's ever talked about Krampus before <laughs> in my... within, in, within earshot of my the right side of my head. Think about my circles Yes. All. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely way more into the the horror movie and mythology side of ex- yeah. significantly expanded entertainment, whereas I am just not. All right, December 6th. December 6th, 1955. New York psychologist Dr. Joyce Brothers. Do you know who she is? You know who she is. Yeah. She was on, Yeah, she was everywhere. She was, she was everywhere. on everywhere during the, like, yeah, the 70s and 80s. 70s sure. and 80s. Well, the reason she was everywhere during the 70s and 80s is that on this date, December 6th, 1955, she wins the $64,000 question, which is a TV show that gave away, at the time, a surprisingly large amount of money. $64,000 is a lot of money. And the way the game worked was you came and you played against other people. Mm-hmm. If you had the most money, you, if you answered this, like, for example, the first week, you might answer the $4,000, $16,000 question. Then you come right. back and you can choose to come back and play next week and try to answer the $32,000 question. Yeah, it Risk. doesn't sound all that different from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It is. It's very similar, right? Okay. And she went and she beat four people over the course of a couple of episodes centered around trivia related to boxing. 
can watch the $64,000 question episodes with her on it, answering the boxing questions on YouTube. Let me tell you, as someone who's never paid attention to this at all in the history of anything, it's like I know less about this than I do about Krampus. She got really difficult questions. It wasn't like, (laughs) you know, who's Jack Dempsey? It was like, how many boxing gloves do boxers typically wear? Right. It was like, which referee refereed the most boxing matches between 1893 and 1906. What size shorts can Mike Tyson put over? (laughs) Like, they were super esoteric questions, and she got them them all and won the $64,000 question. She had a couple of things going for her. One. She's really smart. She's really smart, but it's not, it wasn't like she was there sort of demonstrating smartness about things that doctors are smart. There's no doctor of boxing. Two. She knew a surprisingly large amount about boxing, like more than a bunch of guys who she trounced. Yeah. Three, she was pretty. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. You, she was an older lady, you know, you know, during the seventies and eighties, but you could see that she was an attractive. She uh, was. She was very. I was. Woman, yeah. I was surprised at what she looked like as a young woman. I thought, holy mackerel! Uh, it doesn't surprise me that she was on TV as often as she was following her time on the sixty-four thousand dollars question. I just remember. There was like a, a comedy show that used to come on and they had her side by side with Andrew Dice Clay mm-hmm. taking questions from the audience, <laughs> you know, like uh, relationship questions. Yes. And then she would give her answer and then Dice would give his typical Dice Clay kind of answer right. and all that. Or would, maybe he would give the right his answer first and then she would, right? So she's over there talking and she's talking about, I, I guess the question was something about uh, the girl's boyfriend snored a lot. And Dr. Joyce Brothers is going on about sometimes it's, um, you know, it's, it's a physical thing and you can go and get antibiotics. While she's giving this, you know, very long and very scientific answer, Dice Clay just goes, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it was super funny. She's always been a pretty good sport in all the times that I remember seeing her on television. And she was yeah. she was one of the first really popular, like I'm saying this with air quotes, but pop psychologists. Pop yes. in the way that meant she was popular guest on intellectual conversation shows as well as stuff like game shows and laughing and other goofy things. And she was able to to turn that into set into selling books and having a newspaper column, and was a she was a regular guest right up through eighties TV on like Phil Donahue and stuff. Uh, I'm probably gonna mess up the actual wording, so I'm paraphrasing it best. But they said you're not really a true genius until you can explain with your what you're smart about to anyone, and that's where Joyce Brothers excelled. She was a very very smart woman, but she could phrase everything in such a way that the American TV watching public could understand. Yes. I, I'm right there with you. I don't have anything to follow that up with. That was a perfectly well-phrased bill. Uh, here's something that I don't fully understand because I don't watch sports, but I, I do understand video technology a mm-hmm. little bit. So on December the 7th, 1963, was the first use of the football instant replay. Oh, 63, yeah. huh? Wow. Yeah. I think it was... That's not that far back in my imagination of when this tool would become useful for for like live TV. I don't know if, if in 63 they used it in the broadcasting booth. So for those of you who aren't familiar with American football, I'm sure most of you are, that game can be described in a relatively small set of adjectives. These <laughs> are slow, boring, extended periods of people standing around, uh, right. and then... 
tiny fractions of seconds of like crazy action. That's kind of how football works. So having having the ability for the broadcasters to go, oh look, he's down on the fourth down line, and uh, all right, so now they're they're standing back up rather than having to talk about like they're standing back up, and uh, he's uh, he's walking slowly back to their own line. They've they found oh nope, somebody's lost the football. They they bring out another football. They can say like let's look at that play again in slow motion, and they don't have to say anything. Right now you can yeah, watch the well, play. That's kind of not the case here, Jeff, because. Oh. Uh, yeah, in this particular case, the Ampex videotape recorder, newly de- developed at that time, yes, uh, replayed a one-yard touchdown by the Army. It was an Army-Navy game, right? Uh-huh. So yes. the uh, the Army's quarterback did a one-yard touchdown, and then the replay was shown, and the commentator was like, yep, ladies and gentlemen, Army did not score that point. Yeah, and due to technical problems with the replay machine, that was the only time it worked during that game. Yeah, well, it's funny that you that you bring it up as for that use as well because again, it was also used to verify referee calls. I'm sure in yep. football. Yeah. Jump ahead to today, 2022, and the new rules that just came out for baseball. Uh-huh. Now, using the equivalent of modern instant replay technology, a batter can challenge the umpire's call. Really, and it has to be reviewed. Yeah, this pitcher can too. And it's reviewed, I think, from like three different camera positions, and then they determine, no, it really was a ball, or nope, it really was in the strike zone. I see. Sp- I don't watch sports, but every once in a while, it'll be on TV, you know, at my friend's house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of stuff in technology that's gone forward. Like if you ever watch hockey, they have like the little blue dot that lights up underneath the puck, so you can actually watch where the game is going. Right. And then they have the um, the virtual first down line when you're watching football and right. stuff like that. So it only tracks that they could, you know, eliminate the umpire's job using, you know, computers and, you know, tracking where the ball goes and all that. I mean, seriously, you kind of don't need the umpire anymore. I'll just go f- myself, I guess. But te- technically, I think that, you know, computer graphics are so good now, you, you don't even need the team. You could effectively no. make two AIs play each other. Oh, you my know? God. Have you, ever, have you ever played the show on PlayStation? It's really yeah. good. Yes. Yes. Yes, I did. I, bu- I bought that game when I bought my PlayStation 3. I played it four <laughs> times. Let's, uh, let's move on to the 8th. December 8th, 1857. New York businessman Joseph Gaiety begins marketing Gaiety's medicated paper. Bill, do you want to guess what Gaiety's medicated paper was used for? When you hear medicated paper, what do you think of? Uh, 1857, the guy was rolling joints. It was, well, that's a good guess. It was okay. It was hemp paper. It was suffused with aloe and other lubricants. It was hemp paper. I told you, the guy's rolling joints, dude. <laughs> yes, but no. It was made for wiping your uh, backside, as it were. Oh. So effectively, it's the first commercial toilet paper. In my little article that I'm looking at over here, it says it was marketed as an anti-hemorrhoid medical product. Yeah, that's because it had aloe and witch hazel in it. Oh, uh, well, I'm guessing that that was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't want to say, I don't want to talk too much about this sort of a thing. Gady also warned against uh, using inked papers on the body's delicate parts, as it were. And I remember like that being like a kind of like a thing like colored toilet paper in the 70s. Yeah. You know, those pinks and yellows and stuff like that. And you don't see that anymore. And no. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, it's that's true. It you, you don't see that anymore. And I don't know if it's because it caused, you know, 
colorectal cancer or if it clogged up septic tanks or if it was just too expensive a process to do. Or it might have been a thing where, you know, it might not necessarily be true, but, you know, sometimes stories gain traction real fast where it's like you don't want to use dyes on, you know, what is essentially an open source. You know, there's no skin there. That's a sphincter. Yeah. Can't believe we're having this conversation. But yes, um, yes I nor do I. Welcome yeah. to this week was win or last year, folks. Yeah. Uh, I just want to throw in this last bit over here because it's this is the worst sentence I think I've ever read on the show. It says that this commercial toilet paper, Gaty's medicated paper, remained in use until 1935 when splinter-free toilet paper was introduced. <laughs> Prior Wonderful. to 1935, apparently there wasn't splinter-free toilet paper, young Jeff. Well, that explains why the mascot for Gaty's toilet paper was a porcupine. Yeah, now we get the bears. All right. Uh, trouncing away from one of my least favorite subjects of all time to our next Subject. A lot of people consider this their least favorite Star Wars movie of all time, Jeff. So December the 9th, 2017, The Last Jedi premieres in Los Angeles. Oh. Yeah. Well, I can't say that's the only one that I... I think that's the only one I haven't seen in the cinema. Okay. Amongst all of the Star Wars films. And that may be the only one that I haven't yet seen. Only because when it came out in 2017, I was too busy with other stuff. And I haven't had the streaming service that it is part of since they became a thing. So So. let me tell you a little bit about this movie. Star Wars, much like wrestling, and to an extent, the band Kiss, the people that consider themselves the biggest fans Mm -hmm. are the ones that like the least amount of that product. Uh, Okay. Fair yeah, enough. people that say that they're huge Star Wars fans, they like exactly three movies, and sometimes four. But, like, they hate the prequels, they hate the sequels, blah, blah, blah. They hate this, they hate that. But they're the real Star Wars fans because they don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it falls into the idea, like, of that toxic fandom, which is, you know, it's demonstrating how much they know about yeah. them that makes them, you know, like... Man, they're, I don't know, they're movies. I like Star Wars. I like The Black Hole. I like Battlestar Galactica, yep. you know. The biggest complaint that came out of The Last Jedi is that Luke was a flawed character. He was depressed. He kept to himself. He considered himself a failure. And everybody just wanted Luke to come in and just be the superhero Christ figure that they make him out to be. Right. And honestly, this was the only movie that I actually liked the Luke Skywalker character. Hmm. He He was flawed. And that's why I liked him. But that's just my opinion. My friend Victor hates this movie. Like, he gets red-faced talking about it, and he'll tell you, like, why he hates it. It's like, okay, you hate it. I I don't really like cranberry juice, but I don't turn the color of cranberry juice when I talk about it. Right. I've I've changed as my as I've become an old older person. See, I didn't say I was an old man. Hope I hope I die before I get old. Um as I become an older person in that uh, if I don't like something, I, I'll probably like something else instead. Yeah. And that's kind of as much thought as I give it. If I really like something, I will t- I will sing the praises of that thing forever. But if I don't oh, like right. something, I don't give it another thought unless somebody really pushes me to like share your opinion on whatever this thing is. Like, I don't want to die. It was all right. 
more recently they had the fan fiction, if you want to call it that, of the Halloween franchise, and everybody went off about how much they hated the parts two and especially part three. But I always say, and I got this line from my friend Chris, man, you must live a charmed life if that's the worst movie you've ever seen. Right. You know, Last Jedi was fine. I didn't hate it. Uh, you know, did it have its faults? Sure. Sure did. But that's okay. It's a movie. I'm at, I've reached the point in my life where it's like, if it doesn't look like something I'm really interested in, I don't waste, I don't generally go and see it. Yeah. What was the one with the Bothan spies? That was... Rogue One. Rogue One, where there was all this sort of kerfuffle when Rogue One came out. I thought to myself, again, I saw that one in the cinema, and it was fine. It was interesting. I liked the robot character. I thought it was kind of well-written, and some of the dialogue was really good. But I thought to myself, like, I'm pretty sure the end of this movie is in the crawl of Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that from when I was eight, and I was right. Sometimes you just want to sit down and eat popcorn, and I'm fine with that. I'm all for that, too. Moving on. December 10th, 1896. A guy named Alfred Jerry, a 17 or 18-year-old French kid, writes a play called Ubu Roy that premieres in Paris and becomes a sensation. It becomes a humongous deal to go and see this ridiculous, absurd play. It was a sensation? Were people wearing, like, top hats? Was people it were wearing much? top hats. People were knocking straw hats off one another because it was after Labor Day. Women fainted in the street. Children cried. People were eating tomatoes. There was an alligator for sale in Boston, <laughs> but was more money than it was in New York City. But um, Uber Roy, for those of you who listen to this podcast, since I started doing this podcast as Bill's you know, sort of compatriot here, I've mentioned the band Pear Ubu probably 50 <laughs> times. Pear Ubu comes from this play. This play is an absurd, it's a piece of absurdist literature about a king who's trying to take over the throne of Poland, but none of it makes any sense. And his plan is overly elaborate, and the dialogue is incredibly stupid and ribald and full of swears, I guess, for 1896. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's, I guess in 1896, it was really funny because it plays with a lot of conventions of, of theater. Nowadays, right. it's just weird as shit to look at. <laughs> um, well, that's kind of like when you were talking about Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. Gulliver's Travels was supposed to be a comedy book, and you're reading it, and you're like, yeah, I guess that was a hoot. I guess that was a hoot back in the day, but I don't really find it funny now. Yes. Uh, and Uberoy is like that. There's a couple of versions of it in French, one with subtitles and some without, that are on YouTube that were presented on French TV in the 60s and 1970s that are worth watching if you have an interest in it. It's very strange. Yeah. I wonder if that's where, you remember, I think it was Family Ties, and there was a few other TV shows too, mm-hmm. but there was a production company called Ubu. Remember? Sit, yes. Ubu, sit. Good yes, dog. It was, it was a, I'm sure the dog was probably named after the Ubu Roy, yeah. Uh, something to look up when I care about stuff. Anyway, wrapping up the week, December the 11th, 2009, the cell phone game Angry Birds is released. Uh, was that something <laughs> you ever played? I played some tower defense games, uh, not tower defense games, but like tower knockdown games. Yep. That are like that, but I've never I never played Angry Birds. I did. I thought it was fun. Um Oh, I like that, that was, kind of game to be honest with you. Yeah. I just never played the one with the birds. So. Yeah, a, a lot of physics involved, like you mm-hmm. got to kind of like look at the towers and see yeah. where you got to hit it and stuff like that. And there's a lot of luck involved in well, as well. Yes. Um but that was like enormous. I mean, if I wasn't using my phone to talk to you right now, 
I would look up to see where the the downloads are, but I'm going to guess it's in probably in the hundreds of millions. Oh, I'm sure. One of those games that like everybody downloaded. And then there was Angry Birds 2, there was a Star Wars Angry Birds. Right. And you know, it's it's a good time killer, which is what video games are kind of meant to be. It definitely uh, the, benefited from being, I think, being on handheld devices. It's a really good casual game. Yes. Where you can sit and play for like five or ten minutes while you're, you know, in a waiting room or, you know, in between meetings. It's generally when I see people playing stuff like that. Right. And there's definitely a place for that on modern devices. I don't know what's really popular with them now. I know that the graphics have improved considerably since I started using a smartphone. But Angry right. Birds has been around for a really long time. I think Fruit Ninja was another one that I played a little bit. Right. I remember playing, or trying anyway, like playing Angry Birds just as a desktop game too. Mm-hmm. Like a Facebook game, you know? Yeah. And I'll tell you, it wasn't as fun. It's way more fun on the phone. It's way I, Just controlling it with your finger is a lot more, I don't know, it just seems like it's a cell phone game. I'll have to see if there's a version of Worms, which is a very similar game. Oh, uh, I remember that too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For cell phone. I played that one on Steam, which is very similar to Angry Birds. So You know, it's another thing. Like Angry Birds, like I said, is a better cell phone game than it is a desktop game. Yes. Uh, you know what else it is? It's also a better cell phone game than it is an intellectual property that you turn into a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. There are some things that should not be, as we learned with video games but many times over now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Brothers should not be a movie. Yeah. Mortal on Kombat, whole, not yeah. a good movie. Yeah. On the whole, video games should not be turned into movies. And more times than not, movies should not be turned into video games. There's a I, lot of them that aren't very good. That's definitely one of those rare uh, synergies that the universe should, should understand and follow. All right. Let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. Your All turn right. to start. Your turn. All right. December 5th, 1890, German director Fritz Lang is born. He is born in Vienna, Austria. He uh-huh. makes a name for himself in the 1920s, right at the boom of what would become German Expressionism and then sort of the Weimar era of film. He pioneered police procedurals, science fiction films, weird-ass psychological horror. And then he fled to the United States at the beginning of uh, the rise of the Nazis and made films here in the U.S., the casual listeners of the show and all that, if they're going to know Fritz Lang from anything, I'm going to say probably best known uh, for Metropolis, right? I would think so. That's the film that that definitely had the most exposure in the United States, sure. partly because of its use in a couple of music videos in the 1980s. And it got a release that Giorgio Moroder produced and did a theatrical run in like 1986 or 87. Right, with music. Because um, yeah. Adam music. Ant actually, when I first got Spotify, I was looking up like Adam Ant, and then I saw that he was on the Metropolis soundtrack, and it was a song that I had never heard before, and I was like, "What?" I thought I heard everything, but no, Adam Ant did a song on the Metropolis soundtrack. So that's that's probably what he's best known for here. If you if you fall into looking around for his his material, you'll find like the Testament of Doctor Mabusa. That's a really good weird police procedural slash horror movie. And if mm-hmm. you hunt around enough, you'll find M, which is Peter Lorre's first film and probably the grandfather of all police procedural thrillers. Right. It was almost like a slasher movie, too, wasn't it? Part of it, yeah. All right. So moving on to 
December 6, 1967, American comedian, director, producer, screenwriter, etc., 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 a man by the name of Judd Apatow, probably best known for directing funny people. <laughs> uh, no, I think his, probably his most famous movie is probably going to be The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, the, probably The 40-Year-Old Virgin. He also directed Superbad. He got his start writing and directing on the show My So-Called Life, which put him in contact with like Seth Rogen and a lot of other guys who appeared in his films right. later. Yeah, he was he was involved with the uh the off the loved but it ultimately tanked freaks and geeks as well. Mm, yes. The last gasp of like the college slash high school slash sort of funny but also drama high school right. set thing on dramedy, TV. It, yeah, dramedy as they call. Yes. Uh those things, yeah. Yeah, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies of very famous and uh, well-loved movies. The 40-Year-Old Virgin we mentioned, but also like Bridesmaids. Did you ever see Forgetting Sarah Marshall? That movie's hilarious. Yes, with Russell with Russell Brand. Yeah, that movie yes, is very that funny. that movie's great, yeah. And an- another movie that like I thought it was really good, but uh, it didn't do as well as some of his other movies. A movie called This Is 40. Did you ever yes. see that? I bailed on that one. Oh, did you? I stuck around yes. simply because Graham Parker was like the focal point of that movie, and I love Graham Parker. Uh, yeah, that one didn't hold my interest. Moving on to the 7th. December 7th, 1954, American actress and final third member of Three's Company, Priscilla Barnes. <laughs> final girl. <laughs> the final, the final lady, yes, the last of him. Uh, Priscilla Barnes, you said? Priscilla Barnes, yes. What year was she born? 1954. Yeah, I liked her. I liked her on uh, on Three's Company. She was just such a different character because, like, the first girl that the the blonde, first blonde on the show was Chrissy, and she was like a dip, and you know, just you know, ditzy. And then her cousin in in the storyline, her cousin took the place for like one or two seasons. Her name was Cindy uh, Cindy Snow, and she wasn't really ditzy, but she was clumsy. Mm-hmm. And then they replaced her with Priscilla Barnes, and she was neither. She was very smart. She was a nurse, and she was just a, a much different character than what they had had. But I thought she was a great fit. I thought she was a great third wheel. Oh, all right, well, cool. Maybe I shouldn't say third wheel, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I only remember that show in like pieces and parts and like fleeting memories because I was very young when that was on. She's done as we tend to do on this show. I'm not going to open up her IMDb page and see that she's been in like 900 million movies, but <laughs> she's still active, right? She's still doing stuff? Yeah, she was in, um, I mean, this is going back probably 10 years or so, but she was in The Devil's Rejects, the Rob Zombie film. Uh, she was also in Mallrat. You remember Mallrats? I know I know you don't care for Kevin Smith, but I know you saw it, right? Yeah, I've seen Mallrats, yes. Yeah, she was the fortune teller, the topless fortune teller. That was Priscilla Barnes. Oh, I don't remember yeah. that scene at all, but that's okay. <laughs> you don't remember? I'll take your word how could I? How could I forget? <laughs> how could I forget? And she's also in this other movie that I own, but I've never watched. I've been meaning to. Maybe I should have watched it when I had COVID. Maybe I'll watch it when I get my glasses and I can see a movie. Hmm. Um, uh, it's <laughs> the name of the movie is Vacation in Hell. Vacation it came in out, Hell. Yeah, it came out in 1979, and uh, Maureen McCormick from the Brady Bunch is in it. And oh. so is Barbara Feldon, who I believe was Agent 99. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> on, on, on Get Smart, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems like a 
as interesting of a movie as we're going to get. That sounds pretty interesting, though. All right, moving on to December the 8th, the Candyman himself, Jeff, born in 1925, December the 8th, Sammy Davis Jr., babe. Sammy Davis Jr., he can take a rainbow, turn it into something. Your Sammy Davis Jr. is not all that different from yours, Sean Connery. I think they're all the same. I have this super-duper long-form joke I can do about a guy with a glass eye, but I'm not going to do it because it takes 100 hours to tell. I have a but, super long form joke about a uh, a guy that converted to Judaism and then joined a satanic church, but it's <laughs> it's a little long winded. So anyway, David Davis Jr. was uh, he was a member of the Rat Pack, yeah, in Las Vegas, alongside Frank Sinatra uh, Dean and Dean Martin and yep. Joey Bishop, among others. And yeah, uh, I remember him then, best from his role as Dean Martin's goofy sidekick in. The Cannonball Run movies. Yeah, that's to be exactly honest with what you. I was gonna say. Yeah, probably best known for his run <laughs> for his role in the Cannonball Run. He was super, super, super funny. You know, for somebody that made his living as a song and dance man, he was super funny in uh, in those movies. He made a whole bunch of movies in the '60s too. Most of which I remember seeing like as pieces and parts of on like Sunday afternoon UHF TV when I was a kid. Really, I can't think of a single one off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at now, but I know he was in like spoof spy movies and uh, and other stuff. No, I just remember him from the, the Candyman song and the Cannonball Run movies and just just kind of being awesome cuz he's he was a cool he was a cool cat, Daddy O. Cool cat, Daddy O for sure. All right. Uh moving on. December 9th, 1902. A woman named Margaret Hamilton is born. She is best known for her role as the Wicked Witch of the West in the 1932 production of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and uh, probably best known for her role as Cora in the TV commercials for Maxwell House Coffee in yes. the 70s. I remember seeing those commercials. Yeah, she used to do the Maxwell House commercials, and I remember my father saying, you know who that is? I'm like, no. And he's like, that's the witch from The Wizard of Oz. I'm like, stop it. So, but. <laughs> I wonder if those commercials are out there. I'll have to go have a look because I don't remember um, those I'm at sure all. You can, I'm sure you can find them on YouTube. I'm sure. She uh, also prized the character briefly on an episode of uh, of Sesame Street in like 1974 or something. There was an episode where they were supposed to be like teaching kids about like facing your fears and stuff like that. But I guess the Children's Television Workshop got so many complaint letters and phone calls that they never aired that episode ever again it only aired once well it was tough like i remember you know the, the piece of lost media is out now you can you can go and yeah. watch as gordon desperately tries to fight off a gang of flying monkeys it's nope. awful so i was just listening to i mean there's tons of podcasts that have done episodes about just what a nightmare project the wizard of oz was to work with that green paint that they used for the witch in the movie was actually flammable <laughs> which is bad uh, decision making right there. Yes. So whenever that scene happens where she disappears in a puff of smoke, yes. Um, if you notice the smoke starts coming out like out of the trap door before she even gets there, because she refused to reshoot the scene after she got burned, uh, she got second degree burns on her face and third degree burns on her hand. Oh wow! That whole production is such a nightmare. But she got effed up pretty good on that. Nah, not good. Well, she didn't get physically scarred and or maimed by doing a bunch of Maxwell House commercials, so that's not that I know. That's no. good. As, uh, far, as for, far as we know. 
Yeah. From all accounts, she was absolutely a delightful, delightful woman to be around. So that's true. That's excellent. Um, So moving on to the 10th, somebody who may or may not be a delightful woman to be around. I don't know. I don't know a lot about this woman, but maybe you can help me out. I'll try. December the 10th, 1974, Meg White. Oh. The the elusive drummer from the White Stripes. Yeah. She was a bartender in Detroit who married Jack White, who used to play at the bar where she was a bartender. And they Uh sort of, they pulled together this two-person band, and she played drums, he played guitar and everything else. Yeah. And they started to pitch themselves as a brother-sister act. Which ran for a while until somebody, I think it was at Rolling Stone, was like, they're not brother and sister. They're married. They're making uh, out like they're, they're brother and sister. Like, yeah, they're making <laughs> out like Donnie and Marie. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she got tired of touring, and in the middle of touring on what would be like their, I think, fifth or sixth record, she's like, I think I'm going to be done. And she was, and she hasn't come back since. There was a, some talk, I don't know, maybe in like 2014 or, or thereabouts, about her joining Jack White for a tour and when their greatest hits record was released and recording some new songs. And then folks started to poke out and release the rumor that she was going to replace Neil Peart in Rush. I don't remember what year Neil Peart died. Do you remember what year that was? Not offhand, no. Yeah. Well, it was whatever after after that. So it may not have been 2014 if it was before then. So Right. And she sort of was like, ah, she just faded away after that and disappeared again. And anybody you know, who bought into that rumor, he died in 2020. I just saw it now. Oh, okay, so but so so whenever the, the it's entirely possible that it was 2020 that yeah. the greatest hits record was going to come out. But I mean, anybody who actually believed that rumor, that must have been just like a jab, just a humiliator, because she played drums like just like the. the I mean, she's not. I don't even think she could replace Peter Chris from Kiss. Never mind Neil Peart from Rush. Yeah. Like, there's a series of uh, of concert shows that you can hunt around for them. You'll find them. It was from a British TV series called In the Basement. So, for example, yeah. like Radiohead does the entire record of yes, I've the watched King of the Radiohead Limbs, right? one with you right, with me, it was really right? Good, yeah. And it's yeah. A, it's about an hour long. There's another there's another one that do. There's about an hour long. There's a couple of other bands that go in there and they're about an hour long. You watch yeah. the White Stripes one, it's 21 minutes long. It's like, <laughs> it's just, there isn't a lot, you know? Yep. Again, she's interesting. I like yep. that she helped revitalize the idea of, like, cheapo garage music, and and I like Jack White. So it's kind of interesting to think about where she is now, and hopefully someday they'll tour together again. Yeah. I hear Kiss is looking for a drummer. <laughs> All right, wrap up the birthdays. December 11th, 1944, American actress Terry Garr. Remember Terry Garbill? Yeah, probably best known for that. What was that movie she did with Richard Dreyfus? Ah, because they probably best known for her role as Richard Dreyfus's wife in Let It Ride. I didn't mean Let It Ride, you dingling. <laughs> <laughs> she was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, she got a real start at, on an episode of Star Trek, believe it or not, that was meant to be a really? spinoff. Yeah. After that, found herself in some smaller roles until she really broke out when Mel Brooks hired her to be in Young Frankenstein. And after that, she was in pretty much starring roles for the rest of her career. Right. Minus the other weird art project like Let It Ride. Yeah, I uh, I remember her best from Mr. Mom. Mm-hmm. That's where I really remember her. Um, but she was also like in Tootsie as well and yep. you know a few other things. She did some straight drama too. There was I can't remember the name of the movie. But there was some movie where she was like her. She was dating a guy that made her a cokehead, 
and her son and the guy fought each other to death or something. I can't remember the name of it. She was in it, and I always thought, like, that's a really weird role for her. I've, we forgot all about this. She was in Oh God. Remember that? Yeah, I do, with John Denver. Yeah, and uh, and George and George Burns, yeah. Yeah, and George Burns, right. Um, she was also in Head. <laughs> no, what, really? Oh, my God, yeah. I'll have to watch that again. I can't remember. I remember where she is in that. I wonder if she has a she has a big part, huh? I don't know that she was ever in any musicals other than like Young Frankenstein, which had a musical number in it. But she certainly never recorded the worst song ever. Oh, Jeff. Hey. Um, <laughs> so the the worst song ever this week is a cover song, and yes. we're going to be talking about Fred. Fred Durst and, and company of uh, Limp Biscuit covering the Who's Behind Blue Eyes. Ooh. Now, yeah, before the show we were talking, and you had mentioned that Behind Blue Eyes wasn't exactly your favorite Who song. And it's not mine either, but that middle section, that bridge, I don't know if you want to call it a bridge or an interlude or whatever, Yeah, because Behind Blue Eyes is a slow song, and then it just kicks into this rock business, Yeah, yep. and then it kicks, yep, you know, with my fist, sketches crack it open, blah, 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 yep. and then it goes back into the, the ballady stuff, well, Limp Biscuit just doesn't do that part. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, all right, let's play a clip of this song. And then, uh, then we'll rip apart Limp Biscuit like Sounds they deserve. Like, like they deserve. No one knows what it's like to be mistreated, to be defeated behind blue eyes. And no one knows how to say. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, who was this made for? You know what I mean? Uh, who is this for? Who is the, uh, the target e- audience? The thing is, this? I don't even know. Like, if this is a song that Limp Bizkit fans and and there are there are still people out there who are like, yeah, man, they're my favorite band, right? No, that they, that, yeah, that, I I'm sure there are. Just like there are people who like love Liverwurst and. And look forward to stubbing their toe on the way to the bathroom at night when it's really dark. But I'm sure I don't think that this is one that that they chose to do or were asked to do by their record company. That was for Limp Bizkit fans. This was for the critics. This was to show that they had more range than Nookie. Yeah. Except it backfired. Or My Way or the Highway or whatever. Yeah. Right. Or was it smash, smash thing, smash stuff? That's that's them, right? Break stuff, break stuff, yeah. And to show that that there's a there's a sensitive side to Fred Durst and the rest of the detuned band that he was part of, and it's just I don't know. It's if it didn't play it completely dead straight, maybe it would be okay. But he plays it like this is the most important song I'll <laughs> ever sing. And the earnestness just poisons it. It makes it unfun and very difficult to listen to all the way through. Ultimately unpleasant, I would think, if you like the original song enough to know the lyrics to it. Yeah, then they they add their own lyrics to it at the end, which is... Yeah, yeah, you don't do that to Pete Townsend's writing. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I do with every episode and every band, uh, I did kind of a, a deep dive with Limp Biscuit, which was not an enjoyable time for me. I had a bad day listening to Limp Biscuit. They're not my band. I don't know right. anybody that really like likes them. Like we were just saying, that's it's kind of like disco at the at, in the seventies, where it was insanely popular, but nobody liked it. Yeah, and that's how Limp Bizkit seems to be. I think that they were in part a victim of their own success. They were the forefront of. Oh, I hate to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. They were the forefront of rap rock. Or all right, all right, hold on. I'm going to content. I'm going to not argue this point, but. What Faith No More did to the music industry shouldn't happen to a dog. It shouldn't happen to two dogs. I agree. Um, I love Faith No More. Faith No More is probably the one of the best things that happened to music in the 90s. Okay? But they had that fucking song, Epic, which is primarily the song that everybody seems to know from Faith No More. Right. And that's the, that's the rap song. And that launched a thousand ships limp biscuit being one of them and limp biscuits first tour was actually opening for faith no more on their mm -hmm. album of the year tour yep and i remember my friend mike coming back from that concert and he was all about limp biscuit that's all he like talked about i think it lasted like a month until he bought the album <laughs> yeah and like there's a lot of commercial caulking that holds them together in their early years so they have an image with that stupid baseball hat they have the the guitar player with like the makeup and the Scalera contact lenses. Again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning with the with the days. I work in the haunted house industry. It's like I know you're trying to come across as like, oh, you're so edgy. It's like, yeah, you look like people I work with, dude. You're not really, you know, you're not affecting me anyway. Right. They sound like corn, but not as intellectual. They <laughs> no, and that, like that's a that's a real comment. That's not even me right. taking the piss out of them. Like. No, they I was are, just they, thinking of a, a funnier way to say that. Be like, like corn if corn was stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess. But the target audience for them is like the guys in the. I don't know if you all remember bum equipment, but it was the guys in bum equipment shirts who had, <laughs> who had, who like, aspired to have a Camaro that wasn't twelve years old. You know, yeah. whose girlfriend peaked in high school and who also kind of peaked in high school, and was like still doing like the, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going drinking. It's Tuesday, Bob. Drinking, yeah. you know, and that's the sort of audience that they were going for, sort of, I don't know, frat boy style or something. Yeah. To the point yeah. where, like, they, they've got, like I said, they have the hat, they've got the guitar player with the stupid contact lenses, they've got all the songs that have a super similar beat that borrows from the equivalent of, like, Jump Around style. Funny you should mention Jump Around because one of the members of Limp Biscuit is DJ Lethal. Yes. And DJ Lethal, prior to being in Limp Biscuit, was in House of Pain. Was in House of Pain. And they've also got the stupid, misspelled, unnecessarily misspelled name that is sprayed on their album, like graffiti. It's all of these things that if you were to check off boxes on a clipboard. <laughs> Bingo! It would be the like bingo, bingo card, yeah. yeah. Bit, right, this, this is the new the new metal rap rock bingo card. These guys, we got them, we got them. These guys are there. What we need to do is do like the CCR thing. We got to get them to do a cover. We got to find a cover that really showcases that they're not just the the dudes that do Nookie. What can we find? And then they unbearably steal this song and do this song, right? Yep. Voted the second worst cover song of all time by Spin Magazine. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. 
Uh, one thing I, I remember about Fred Durst is they were using the song Roland as an intro music to The Undertaker in the WWE for some time. And at one of the WrestleManias, they had Fred Durst come down to the ring to perform it live. But he didn't have the rest of the band. He was just like... Yes, you know, karaoke style. Karaoke style, exactly, right. And he had like two fly girls dancing on either side of him in the ring and he's kind of like dancing along and it's like this is super 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 embarrassing for everybody involved the undertaker fred durst both of the fly girls and me we're all tremendously embarrassed by the whole shenanigans yeah yes it's funny that you bring up the karaoke thing because i think that's where this song and a lot of this music still thrives it's really well suited to like a drunken everybody's out on a saturday night karaoke night in like the dive chinese bar where four people got tony poisoning and somebody gets stabbed that's where this song and songs like this one well i guess more of the regular limp biscuit stuff is heard most often yeah and i actually went back and i watched the music video for this and fred durst here's that word earnest again he's just kind of like looking in the camera and being all like totally like serious and yeah. heartfelt and earnest like we say and i'm looking at him i'm like aren't you the same guy that was telling somebody to shove that cookie up their ass uh, i i didn't go I back i can't and take watch. you serious i, I can't take back. you seriously sir i i couldn't go back and watch this video i honestly i i, I spooled it up in in youtube and i couldn't pull the trigger i just couldn't do it because i i have such a visceral dislike of the song but I will say that if I do turn the volume all the way off and watch it, the only way I would watch it all the way through is if, if about three quarters of the way through the song, Pete Townsend appears and just takes a Rickenbacker guitar and bashes Fred Durst's head in. Yeah, I agree. All right. Before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Jeff. Mm-hmm. The national anthem of the United States of America is yes, the, the Star Spangled, Spangled Banner. Banner. Uh, it's been our national anthem since 1931. What was the national anthem prior to that? I think it was it was still what would become the Star Spangled Banner put to music. It wasn't at the poem, the defense of Fort McHenry by Francis Scott Key, which is the Star Spangled Banner with no music. No. Prior to uh, the Star Spangled Banner, there was no national anthem for oh, this country okay as a matter of fact it was a bit of a it was like a trivia business in a ripley's believe it or not comic strip where they said believe it or not the united states of america does not have a national anthem and there was so much outrage the fact that we didn't have a national anthem that they put forward let's get ourselves a national anthem and that's when they picked the star spangled banner like the next year now prior to that there were some songs that were kind of getting kicked around as like unofficial national anthems my country tis of thee was one of them which is right. musically god save the queen right or king now god save the king for the you know england uh and there was another song that was also getting kicked around which they use for George Washington's inauguration. But that song will be a part of next week's trivia question. I bet Stay I know tuned, which one kids. that is. I bet you don't. But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Jeff McLaughlin <laughs> has left the building. That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. 
A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better than last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram or the hot new social media app that I just made up called Spackler. That's grouped with two O's and two P's by looking for Twibbly. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And also, don't sell all your stuff and climb to the top of a mountain waiting for the end of the world. I mean, the numbers add up and all, but we'd never tell you to do that. <laughs>